You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. E-S-N-Y. production recording on august 11th just a little after six o'clock rolling as always with chip murphy chip what's going on man how you doing i'm good man feeling good uh glad to be doing a podcast again it's been a while since we've done one i know i was on vacation uh happy to be back but uh yeah happy to be doing a podcast again with you uh how you doing man I'm doing good, doing good, trying to, uh, you know, uh, not escape but manage the uh, the heat and whatnot. It's getting a little little toasty out there, but uh, pretty good for the most part. Um, also very excited to be doing a podcast as well, and specifically for the topic that we're covering today. Um, for anyone listening out there, Chip and I, uh, you know, we both are avid writers and watchers of basketball, and, and you know, one of the things that is always an, an interest of the conversation when it comes to evaluating players and teams um, and what translates to winning is the use of analytics. Uh, and it's something that, you know, I know Chip and I, we talk about a lot and, and something that we are trying to kind of like further our knowledge base on. Uh, so with that said, uh, we are really, really thrilled uh, to bring on a talented writer and someone who knows a lot about analytics uh, Arjun Balaraman, and definitely let me know if, if I pronounce that correctly. Welcome to the show. We're very happy to have you on. Thanks so much. Yeah, really happy. Yeah, yeah got the name right. Um, really happy, uh, happy to be on. Looking forward uh, to chatting with you guys. Absolutely. And just before we get started, uh, Arjun is uh, a contributor for Nylon Calculus and the Celtics blog as well. Um, and I think where we're going to start the conversation is... Uh, just, just your basic interest in, in analytics. Uh, I know just in following you on Twitter over the last couple months that you've come out with uh, an app recently. Uh, you've written a lot about analytics. It seems like it's uh, an area of strong interest for you, something that Chip and I are very interested uh, about as well. If you could just kind of take us behind the curtain a little bit in terms of um, you know what really drives that interest for you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, I've been interested in analytics kind of my whole life. Like, I've played soccer and basketball since I was super young. Um, and I've been watching those sports um, for as long as I can remember as well. And kind of just from there, you know, math has kind of always been my best subject in school. And so it was kind of a natural um, combination of, of two of my interests. Um, but it's been something I've been interested in for a long time. Like, I remember even back in like second, third grade, 
I'd be like cutting out clips from like the newspaper, the box scores um, and stuff and, and just looking at those, um, whether it's like football, basketball, soccer, um, anything. And uh, just kind of as I've gotten older, I've continued that interest, you know, as I've gotten a little better at, at math and, and started to learn how to, to code and stuff, the, the analytics um, interest uh, kind of developed a little more. And uh, yeah, it's kind of just gone from there. It's something that I've I've been interested in for for a long time, and I've just tried to incorporate um, with sports as much as I can. That's awesome, and I know that we were we were talking uh, a little bit offline before we started recording the pod that uh, you grew up in in Jersey around the Princeton area, uh, and and was a Nets fan. And if you could just talk to us, Chip and I are both Knicks fans, uh, and and we're probably a little bit jealous at times about uh, <laughs> how Brooklyn has kind of developed. But if you could just Talk to us a little bit about how um, you started your Nets fandom, players that you liked, you know, some teams that were, you know, uh, fun to watch for you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you said, I, I grew up in Jersey, and so naturally be, became a Nets fan. But I've been there through through the dark days, through the, the Devin Harris days. Um, you know, I think <laughs> he's got, probably got to be one of the defining point guards of my childhood. Um, I mean, being a Nets fan, he was probably like the point guard from when I was well, like eight to 12 or something. Um, and so I just remember so many of those games. Um, but I mean, it's been tough, you know, so like it, it hasn't been easy. It's been, it's been a, a tough couple of years in the middle there, but finally started to turn around. I mean, I think last season, I, I like to tell a lot of all of my uh, friends this last season was probably the most fun I've ever had watching a Nets team. Um, like, anything about like the Jason Kidd, Vince Carter teams, like Richard Jefferson was my favorite player growing up mm. um, and stuff. But last year's team just had an energy to it. I mean, it, it, it was a lot of fun. Like not only the bench and everything, but deep low going off on those runs. Um, I don't know. That, that was still probably my, uh, my most fun Nets team so far. Yeah. I think a lot of Nets fans feel the same. My brother's a few years older than you and he's a yeah. Nets fan and he feels exactly the same way. And yeah. he grew up like with Devin Harris and was Gerald Wallace and he oh, still yeah. talks about that and yeah. Josh Howard and guys like that. And Josh uh was it Josh Boone too, I think. Oh, man. Josh, oh yeah. wow, Josh Boone. Yukon, <laughs> Yukon grad, I believe. <laughs> no, yeah. Josh Boone, Chris Stitch, all all those days. Chris like, Stitch, yeah. It. Yeah. Um sometimes it, it felt like you'd never get out, but eventually. So I mean there's hope for Hope for you guys too. <laughs> yeah. What was that? Yeah. What was that moment like when uh, you get that Woj bomb that uh, KD and Kyrie have signed to the Nets? What What was your first reaction? Uh, it was nuts. I still remember it. I mean, I was actually driving to go, go play around of golf with a couple of my friends, um, and I was we were, we were waiting in the parking lot, um, about to to go walk in, and I just checked my phone, and I, I mean, obviously had Woj notifications on. You know, it's important time. Um, and I just saw it and I was, I was in disbelief for a, for a second, had to make sure it was real when checked again, but it, it was just crazy. I mean, the Kyrie talk was there for a long time. Um, that one, you know, if D'Lo wasn't coming back, it seemed like that, that was going to happen. But when KD signed, I mean, that was just completely out of play. Like crazy. as a fan, you try to talk yourself out of it, lower the expectations as much as possible. And when it happened, that, that was, it was pretty awesome. Absolutely. 
Um, so as we transition and, and we start this conversation about analytics, I feel like the first place I want to start is kind of the, 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 I guess a comparison between kind of like the catch all analytics. Like, um, whenever I'm writing an article, I'm always looking at the different, um, analytics that really kind of like encompass a, a player's effectiveness on the court. So, one that's been kind of like, I don't want to say debunked, but like, you know, people have talked poor, more poorly about it in recent years is I think John Hollinger's PER. Um, I know Jacob Goldstein had come up with uh, player impact plus minus. Box plus minus is something that I know I use frequently. There's even Raptor, which I'm not even sure if what that stands for in terms of the, the acronym. Um, of all of these, and maybe there are some that you know of that I have not even mentioned yet, which ones do you place the most stock in and, and why? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I want to start the conversation. Like, in terms of all-in-one metrics, they're, they're nice to get, you know, a general understanding um, of how a player's done. But I think it's also important to not value all-in-one metrics as, you know, like the be-all, end-all um, when you're looking at a player. Um, you know, there's a lot that goes into these metrics, and some value certain aspects more than others. Um, so there just will be some differences, and none of them are perfect. And so it's important to, yeah, like you, we can look at these all-in-one metrics um, and definitely value them as, as um, being a great starting point. But I think it's also important to make sure that whenever you're looking um, at some of these metrics, you also take that next step. If, if somebody's um, really high in a metric that maybe it doesn't seem like they should be. There's probably a reason for that, and it's, it's always important to, to take that next step um, from there and really see why um, they're where they are. But in terms of all-in-one metrics in, in general, I think, like you said, player impact plus minus um, is a really good one. Um, that's a really good recent one. Um, I think Raptor is also pretty good. Like I don't know what the full acronym stands for yeah. uh, either, but I know... Um, I, like when I was looking at the, the methodology and some of the results from that, uh, I think that's a good one. Both of them um, value like box score components and on-off components, which I think is important. Um, so something like PER only looks at a box score um, and just look at some looks at some of those components, um, whereas um, player impact plus minus and Raptor look at a couple more uh, components that I think are, are, are pretty good um, there. Okay. And I know, um, Chip, I know uh, you, you wanted to ask Arjun about the Houston Rockets specifically. I did want to ask about the Houston Rockets <laughs> because they, I think you can't have a discussion about analytics and not talk about the Houston Rockets because they're strictly analytics. They, That's why so many people despise them pretty much. And I like watching the Houston Rockets. I like James Harden. I love that Daryl Morey, traded Clint Capella and went all in. Like if I'm getting fired, I'm going to go down with the ship, <laughs> whatever me and me and Jeff have talked about that yeah. extensively already. Yeah. Like, so as you know, way more about analytics than us. So as someone who knows what uh, knows everything about, or knows what you know about analytics, do you think that the style the Houston Rockets play, do you think it can be successful when a championship and, get it done because up until now they struggle just playing this way. Yeah. So, I mean, like you said, I think it's hard to have a discussion about analytics without talking about yeah. the Rockets. And um, 
I think the one thing that I can definitively say about the Rockets style is that it gives them a chance to win every single game. And I think that's what Daryl Moore is looking for um, more than anything, is that just by the shot selection they get and based on Harden's gravity and how teams have to double him, the fact that most of those threes are open. And I think one thing that is important is to to also remember, like when we're we're talking about the Rockets style, is that open threes are are way more valuable than even semi-contested threes. Like the percentage of making open threes is is significantly higher than it is for for a contested one. And so the fact that they're generating open corner looks, it's not just that they're taking a ton of threes, it's that they're taking a ton of, for the most part, like pretty decent threes um, as well. And whether they can win a championship is tough. Over seven game series, um, as I mean, we all know what happened in that in that game seven uh, a couple of years ago um, when they missed what twenty seven in a row. Yeah, it's uns- um, crazy. Like yeah. that can all that can always happen. Like that's that's the the thing. They increase the variance um, of the game outcome so much that they have a chance to win every game, but they also have a chance to go over twenty seven. Um, and so, in a seven game series, it'll be tough um, for them to beat the LA teams. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. But they uh, they definitely have a shot. Like, of any of, to me, of the L.A. teams, uh, in the team of the teams in the West, other than uh, the Clippers or the Lakers, they definitely have the best shot. I think so. I, I like that point that because they have James Harden and they have so many shooters, they're in every game. I think that's mm-hmm. a great point. Like, and what you add Westbrook in now, too, with his ability in the fast break, too. They are, with those guys, with those two guys healthy, they're, in every game. They have an opportunity to win every single game. That's for sure. I Absolutely. just think they're going to get killed on the board again. Killed on the boards against the Lakers. They really are. I don't know. They're going to have to force so many turnovers. It's going to be tough against the Lakers. I don't know, man. Yeah, and, and that's what it is, like you said. But because they're going to lose the rebounding battle, they just have to yeah. they have to kill the turnover battle. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what's going to be tough. They've done, they've done a good job, and, and Russ is playing really, really well. Um, I mean – the five out did him wonders. You open the lane up for him. It's uh, it's a matchup nightmare for, for just about anybody. You, you don't know whether you put your center on PJ and he has to help in the corner and then he's not able to really protect the rim. Uh, it, it's just tough, but it's whether in games three and four and five of the series do teams figure it out. Do teams find something where, adjust. you know, this isn't going to work and do the Rockets have an answer for that? That's where I don't know. It, it seems like with the Rockets right now, like they're fully bought in. It's it's this is it's either this. There's no really a plan B. For me. Well, I think if like Tucker and House and role players like that, like Mclemore, hitting threes, that could be the difference in the series. Because I don't think guys like McGee and Howard are going to leave the paint to go to the corner to guard those guys. Like right. they're not going to they're going to try and protect the rim to stop Harden. They're not going out. They're not. You know, they're not prime Joaquin Noah going out to the perimeter to try and stop guards. So right. that could be the difference. And Tucker's really good three-point shooter. He's yeah. I think he's made more corner threes than anybody else in the league this year. He's obviously got a lot of opportunities, but when he's open, he's a threat. So And shit, Macklemore's been awesome. Oh, my God. Yeah. He's been so good. Revived <laughs> his career. Macklemore's been, uh, he's been like an analytics Dream kind of Daryl Morris. Yeah. I think he he took his first mid range jump shot of the year the other day. <laughs> um, 
in a scrimmage at the end of the first, end of the half or end of the first quarter. It was just to end the buzzer, and it, it was really funny because it was his first one of the year that wasn't at the rim or a three, and uh, it was it was pretty nuts. That's but, funny. Yeah, that's um, funny. But so your to your point about like McGee and Boyd Howard, I think they played the Bucks uh, a couple of days ago, and. I think PJ Tucker and Jeff Green took 18 corner threes. Oh, Jeff behind. Green too, yeah. Or something. I think it was something like that. And, and they killed the Rock. They killed the Bucks because Brooke Lopez was trying to help and they would have to leave them open. And when it's Jeff Green, who's essentially like a wing for most teams in the corner, you're, you're he's getting an open corner three every time. Um, and that's that's just a good look for them. So it it'll be tough like with uh, with the Lakers, I think They'll be playing a lot of AD at the five and a lot of like Kuzma has been really good for the Lakers in the bubble. So if he can keep that up and they can end up keeping him in some sort of a closing lineup, that that could be really big for them. Yeah. I just think trading Capella doesn't really alter whether or not they're going to have success or not. If they hit their threes, they're going to win. And if they don't, they're probably not going to. That's yeah. what that's really what it matters. It's just Westbrook's going to play better without exactly. Capella. And with Capella there, he wouldn't have been as good as he is. He's been maybe the best basketball of his career right now, which sounds crazy, but definitely the most efficient. I, I would agree. I, w- I would agree he's the best basketball of his career because he, he's doing it when he's not getting the ball as much as he was in Oklahoma. Like, you think about the, the year when he put up a triple-double for the first time. It was him and Steven Adams, and uh, and, and that was it. And, um, yeah. And so, yeah, I, th- I think he's playing really well. And the thing with Russ is he can win you a couple games on his own, like essentially on his own in, in, in a series. Um, if you, you put some – if he has a good matchup and, and he's able to just take it to the rim and get out in transition, I mean, I think there's a chance he could, he could win you a game or two. And, and, and that could be what, what pushes you over the edge. So, like, with the Capella thing, like, I completely agree whether they make threes is, is obviously a huge thing. But if Russ can get you that one extra game that makes it 3-1 instead of 2-2, um, I don't know. I think I think that could be big, but we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Is, um, and, and you kind of spoke about this a little bit already, but um, again, just kind of, I guess like kind of wrapping up that the, the Rockets conversation in terms of like whether they can win a championship or just win at even a higher level, like, <clears throat> and and you can let me know too if you feel like this is just more of like, NBA basketball speak, but the, the thing we hear all of the time is that the game slows down in the playoffs. Um, rebounding becomes, you know, it's it's a, at a premium, and this system is not necessarily going to work. Like, and and we've seen historically that it's been close, right? Like, if Chris Paul doesn't get injured, if um, the Phoenix Suns, you know, if if there isn't a, a technical foul, and I forget whether it was Amari who pushed. Uh, somebody on the Spurs like there, there, there's times where these teams that really buy into the analytics have been so close um, but so do you feel like it's closer than not that that is going to happen or still that there there needs to be kind of like a balance in terms of like your your game approach um so I think the Rockets obviously take it to an extreme um, the way that they play is, is definitely like a, a very extreme version of fully buying in um, to like the analytics approach. Uh, the one thing with Rockets in the half court is Harden's obviously an exception isolation player. Isolation happens whether it's in the half court. Like, isolation happened in a playoff game or in a regular season game. Right. Like, 
he's going to get those ISO possessions and teams are going to have to double him. And when teams start doubling him, it just causes chaos. Um, and that's what the Rockets thrive off. Like they just want to cause chaos. Um, and so like, yeah, whether they, um, yeah, I'm, whether they're the ones that push them over the edge and they're the analytics team that kind of make the leap um, is, is unclear. But I think one thing that we have to remember is the Warriors were an ideal championship team for a few years. Like that was a tough one to compete with. Like we're not, every championship team is going to have flaws and they really didn't. And um, I think that skews our idea of what championship teams look like a little bit recently. Um, just based off how good they are. And so, yeah, the Rockets have a couple – like, obviously rebounding is going to be one of their weaknesses. But they do have so many strengths that I still think that there is, there's a chance. I don't think, especially the way the Lakers and the Clippers have looked um, in the bubble, um, I, I think there's a chance. I think I think there's there's definitely a chance. It, it's not that any of these teams look invincible. Even even the Bucks, they, they haven't looked great um, in their – first whatever five or six games yeah i think uh you know really not look good yeah Yeah. they've they've definitely been struggling i mean some of those the you guys were talking about issues with the rockets in the in the half court when the game slows down i think issues with the bucks in the half court when the game slows down are are almost as important i mean i think it was the mavs game a couple days ago they were it was a tie game down the stretch and it just reminded me a lot of that Toronto series last year where the end of games, close games, who's getting the ball. It was like, there was a Brook Lopez post up, a Middleton pick and roll, Giannis didn't touch it for the last minute and a half. Um, I don't know. I, th- I think that's also something that's going to be interesting to look at. Um, like I think half court numbers. Uh, so there's a website cleaning the glass. Um, I'm not yeah. sure how, if you guys, yeah. Um, so they have they do a really good job of breaking down half court and transition offense, and so I think that's a, a really useful um, tool to look at um, when you're looking when you're kind of thinking about how what happens when the game slows down in the playoffs. That's a that's a really good transition to one of my other questions. So there's a lot of websites out that uh, you know writers will reference um, for various analytics. You know some of the more popular ones, like you just mentioned, cleaning the glass. Synergy is obviously a big one. Uh, B-ball index is, is something that's come on recently. Um, I'm sure they all have their strengths and their weaknesses. Is there one that you particularly rely on? Um, one that's a little bit stronger for a, a certain set of information that you're looking for as opposed to another? Um, I think cleaning the class is, is, is pretty awesome. Okay. I, I probably use it in just about every article. Um, that I write, whether it's for Celtics blog or Nylon Calculus, um, they have some some really good some really good information that's pretty easy to digest, um, which I think is really important. They do a nice job of giving percentile grades um, for just about everything, um, color coded, and uh, yeah, they they also break down stats. Like I said, half court and transition. Um, they'll have. Various offensive reading, offensive rating, defensive rating stats. They'll have um, frequency of shots at the rim, mid range, three points. Um, so yeah, I think I think cleaning the glass is is really excellent one they have for players um, and teams and games. Some good sites. Basketball Index also um, definitely has has some good stuff. Um, I think their player profiles are, are really nice and, and detailed. Um, 
but um, those, that it's a it's a little harder to understand, I think, than cleaning the glass. I think for writers, especially cleaning the glass, is definitely a a, a very useful tool. Um, and in yeah. terms of the in terms of the synergy stuff, I think one thing that the people um, might not really realize is that most of that synergy data is also publicly available online on NBA's advanced stats website. Um, and so like rather like obviously synergy has its, its perks and, uh, but it, it is kind of pricey. And so for a lot of people who might not, um, want to spend that money, like all the, whether it's pick and roll data, spot up, catch and shoot transition, like that, that data for all players is, is available online. Um, and like actually one of the, the, the tools I built for my shiny app, um, was just trying to put all of that in one place. Um, so I kind of gathered all the stuff from NBA.com and, and put a couple of visuals just to, to show uh, the synergy play type data um, for various players. So I think that's um, important to look at. You know, somebody might be scoring 25 points a game, um, but you want to know, like, how are they scoring those 25 points a game? Is it in the pick and roll? Is it as a spot up shooter? Like, that, that obviously matters to, to how they're scoring. Um, that's that. So I think those are also a couple ones that are interesting to look at. Yeah, I know Chip is a big fan of cleaning the glass, for sure. Right. Yeah. yeah. I cite it in pretty much everything I'm writing. I, I know most bloggers that I read and that I know, and I think Jeff uses it too. I think pretty much everyone uses it now. It's like the most commonly used mm-hmm. one. It is the best one because they have guides on every single stat on how to understand it and uh, ben Falk, I think, is the guy's yeah. name who yeah. created it. And he used to work in the league, and he just has mm-hmm. videos, too, on how to understand his stats. It's, it's very well set up and easy to understand. It's the best one for, uh, like you said, for bloggers to use, I think. it's just, And it's easy to explain to readers. He makes it easy to right. explain to your readers. Yeah. That's the best part about it, I think. Exactly, and and those percentile stats, like you said, just make it so comprehend, like so easy yeah. um, for people to, to understand. And it, it kind of like you see somebody's a thirty percent or thirty five percent three point shooter, and for a casual NBA fan, they don't know what that means necessarily. Is that average, above average, below average? And so I think that that does a really good job um, of really showing mm-hmm. showing that. Uh, another area of analytics that um, I know always has a lot of conversation is is defense and specifically individual defense. It's something that's been kind of like historically uh, difficult to evaluate. Um, You know, the Rockets are a team that, you know, uh, historically have been criticized for some of their defense. There have been some years where they've been up there in defensive rating, some where they haven't. Um, What are some of your favorite metrics for uh, team defense or individual defense that you feel are are good um, barometers for kind of like, having a discussion about like, okay, is this person effective or not? Yeah. Um, so for individual defense, it's hard with, with analytics, it's hard. I right. think that that's something, um, that's definitely, I mean, it, it's not easy to, to capture how good a player's defense is without like advanced tracking data on where exactly they are on the court at, at any time. So with, yeah. with what's available, it, it is hard. But for me, I think there's, there's kind of five main tools I try to look at for defense. So if you think about it generally, like not from an analytics standpoint for, for a basketball player, like the, the things I think you would want to look at for evaluating a person's defense, on-ball defense, off-ball defense, 
versatility, their rebounding, and then whether the team is better when they're on the court or not. And these are all things that you can measure. So on-ball defense is, is a little is the one that's the trickiest, um, I'd say. But 538, so 538 had released last year a metric called Draymond, which kind of tried to do that. Um, so it was measuring how close you were to your opponent um, when they're shooting, essentially. Um, but it placed a little bit too much weight on whether the shot went in or not or didn't. Um, and so that's another thing I think that's important um, to remember is like whether the shot goes in or not is not necessarily dependent on the defense. That's that's luck for the defender. Um, if you do your job and you're contesting him whether it goes in or not, um, it might change how people view you, but you've done the same job. Um, it's not necessarily a, a bad job. Um, and so on-ball defense is the trickiest Um that one you kind of have to rely on the eye test as much as you can. Does your player stay in front of his man? That I mean, it, it's tough to measure that one. But for the rest, I think there's all things that you can definitely look at. Off-ball defense, obviously, I think is is the most um, public. Like people know how to measure that the best. Obviously, like steals, blocks, deflections, um, things like that. So I, I like to look at deflections a lot more um, than something like steals, just because again, it's it's kind of luck-based after, like, if you're getting your hands on the ball, you're disrupting the play. That's what you want to be doing. Right. Um, and then versatility. So there's, um, I think it just moved to basketball index, but there's Krishna Narsu and uh, Andrew Patton made this versatility app um, kind of based off mat- off the um, matchup data on NBA.com. Um So it kind of does a really good job of showing which players guard different positions. Um there, it, it gives it gives defensive roles for each player, so they'll be point of attack defenders, off ball wings, interior bigs, stuff like that. Um, and so, I think that's a really really good tool to look at versatility, um, especially today. Um, teams like to switch as much as possible, um, and so that's something that I really like to look at there. And then for rebounding, obviously, there's rebounding percent and just raw rebounding numbers uh, you could look at, and then. Obviously, from cleaning the glass, they do a really good job of showing your on-off defense. Um, so that's another thing that I like to look at. I mean, if you're doing a good job of, if your team's better when you're on the court, you're you're doing something something right. Um, and then I think another thing for team defense that's important to look at is um, so on cleaning the glass, they have frequency of shots at the rim. If you're deterring guys from getting to the rim as a team, you're doing a good job. Um, Teams have different differing strategies in terms of letting other teams shoot threes or not. Um, you know, the Bucks have the best defense in the league, but they also allow probably the most threes, I think. Um, and so there, there's a balance there, but in general, deterring teams from shooting at the rim is something that I think is, is definitely important to look at. Do you um, do you rely at all on an opponent's field goal percentage? Is that a, a statistic that, that you kind of um, like in particular or not really? Um, only at the rim. Okay. That's the that's the only place where I'd be looking at opponent field goal percentage. Um, because for the rest of it, uh, like I like I kind of touched on earlier, a lot of it's that a lot of that is down to luck. It's whether the opposing player makes the shot a lot of the time. Um, but at the rim, for the most part, you're able to get a good contest on the ball. And if you look at the players who uh, have the best field goal opponent field goal percentage at the rim, it's generally the best rim protectors guys like Brooke Lopez this year are, are leading that Giannis. Um, so I think 
only at the rim is that something that that I I would like to look at. Um, this and for like guards. Oh, sorry. No, 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 no. chip, but, chip, get in there. And for no, for guards, would that still be like a good measurement? Do you think? Um, it's a. I think guards would have a much smaller sample size. Um, I mean, they would, they'd be contesting shots at the at the rim a lot less, so that might that might skew it. Um, but in general, yeah, it could still be a, a decent indicator. Like a guy like Marcus Smart, I'm sure. I mean, I don't. Um, I'm not sure exactly what his rim protection numbers look like, but I'm sure his uh, his contests at the rim are probably a little bit better than somebody like Kemba Walker on that same team. Um, how do you account? I'll, I'll, this next question I, I'll admit is is going to be pretty difficult to answer. But <laughs> how do you account for some of the more you know the obvious like non quantifiable factors that lead to a player's either uh, effectiveness or lack of effectiveness on the court? Um, I mean, not necessarily like player drive, but more of like scheme. Um, you know, who's on the court with the player at certain times. I think like, you know, just as a Nick fan, uh, even though the, the team is trash, we often talk about players that, uh, we either have a special spot for, and I feel like sometimes you try and, um, not make excuses, but give some context into reasons why they're struggling. Like, oh, they're sharing the court with this certain person for this amount of possessions, and that's why, and when, when they were with this person, their net rating was this or, or not, um... Do you think as analytics become more advanced and um, if you know some of those specific areas that they're becoming more advanced, it uh, be great to, to let us know. Do you think we're becoming closer to a, a, a more precise and accurate evaluation of a player? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the important thing to remember for looking at a player is it, it's, it's never going to be like one streamlined thing. It's always going to be multifaceted. Um, like analytic, even... Like I'm an analytics person, but analytics aren't the the final straw. Like just because um, I see something in the numbers doesn't mean that that's I'm going to believe that wholeheartedly and go, and run with that. I mean, in all my pieces, I try to include uh, a couple pieces of film um, in just about everything because I think there's a, a little bit of a misconception that analytics people don't really watch the game or they might not um, know anything about what's happening on the court. Um, and, I, and I think it's important that the analytics and the eye test people, you know, you know, work together a, as much as possible because all the analytics try to do are bring up points that maybe you might not notice otherwise. And then if you go back in the film and, and look at that, you'll, you'll notice what the numbers are saying for the most part. Or if there's like a, a general reason, a, like a clear reason for, for something, you'll be able to notice that as well. Um, and so in terms of the non-quantifiable things, like, I mean, it's not that all my favorite players are, are analytics darlings either. Like, I love D'Angelo Russell. He's, he's probably not somebody who's one of my most analytics people. Like, he's one of my favorite players. Chip um, is a big D'Lo guy, too. Yeah, I mean, so it, it's it's the same thing. Like, I think I have the, the same, you know, likings for certain players. Like, I don't know, guys like Marshawn Brooks. I don't know if you guys remember. Oh, yeah. But, oh, yeah. Like, I, oh, yeah. looking back on it now, like, uh, he, I would have hated him if I was looking at him from an analytics perspective. But that doesn't mean I don't like him as a player, like from what he was like in that in that one year. Um, and and so I think uh, like for the intangibles, like I watch the game just just like you. Like I'm I'm probably seeing the same things that that I want to to see in terms of those intangibles. And um, I think it's just always important to contextualize everything. So like you said, um, if somebody's shooting like 
whatever, R.J. Barrett this year might, might have had a bad year because he's playing with Mitchell Robinson and Julius Randle and Bobby Portis in the paint half the time. Um, and, and Todd Gibb, like, you guys had so many big guys out there. Oh, yeah. And so, like, we did. That, that, that could be a thing. And I know Basketball Index actually has, has tried to um, – to create, I think one of their metrics in their um, player profiles is a lineup spacing rating. Um, so it kind of tries to give a good idea of how good the other players on the court were in terms of spacing the floor for him. Um, and so I think that that's something that's that's definitely interesting. And like you said, we're definitely on the right track in terms of in terms of um, developing more metrics like that. Um, Chip, do you have any? Uh... Others, I know I have a couple more, but yeah, I did want to ask about true shooting percentage and effective field goal percentage because those are the two uh, shooting percentage metrics that I see people use the most, and I think effective field goal percentage is like generally considered a solid metric, and I I try and use it as much as I can, especially because the three point shot is so prevalent now, but. The true shooting percentage stat is pretty uh, criticized from what I've seen, but every once in a while I do see someone use it. But, you know, it's strange because the big men are always at the top and Rudy Gobert and guys like that are always at the top of the stat because they they take high percentage shots. I was wondering what your opinion was on true shooting percentage and the validity of it and effective field goal percentage. If you want to talk about that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, so basically you have field, you start with field goal. We started with field goal percentage, which is just obviously the raw numbers, not factoring in twos being more than threes. Effective field goal percentage is just field goal percentage that factors in that twos are worth two points and threes are worth three points. And then what true shooting percentage does essentially is it takes it to the next level and incorporates free throws as well. So essentially what true shooting percentage is, is points per shot attempt. It's points per true shooting attempt. So if you have um, four field goal attempts and you get fouled once and take two free throws, that'll be five true shooting attempts, um, four field goals and the one trip to the line. Um, And so I actually think that true shooting percentage is, um, I mean, it depends on what you're trying to capture. So if you're trying to capture scoring efficiency, like true scoring efficiency, then you would be wanting to look at true shooting percentage because um, that incorporates how often somebody gets to the line and how often they convert their free throws. So I think the one big example from this year would be Jimmy Butler. Like he's been a pretty woeful shooter. Uh, he's been a decent finisher, but he hasn't been um, great in terms of raw field goal percentage, but he gets to the line 10 times a game. And, and he's, he gets so many points at the line that his true shooting percentage is, is a lot higher than his effective field goal percentage um, would be. And so what I – and the other thing um, I like to say with, with all these field goal percentage metrics is, like you said, big guys are going to have a little bit skewed numbers because all their shots are at the rim. And so it's important to put everything in context. So what I like to do with um, – like on my app, all the numbers are percentiles. So you want to break it down by percentile um, in terms of, um, you mean you want to break it down by position. So you want to look at bigs and only compare them to other bigs. You want to look at wings and compare them to other wings. You want to look at guards and compare them to other guards. Because that's when you have, you're comparing apples to apples versus comparing um, like two different things. Like comparing 
Jason Tatum's field goal percentage to Rudy Gobert's isn't isn't it doesn't really make that much sense. Um, I think that's a that's a good place. Also, um, I was looking at your app. Um, and tell me if 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 I have it correct here. So Shiny Apps is the the platform or the name of the app? Because I thought I also saw NBA Radio Plots, and I was like, I'm, I'm not sure if I have the correct uh, name. Oh yeah, so basically, I I did the plot the uh, app in R Shiny, and so Shiny Apps is how they host websites. Okay. Um, and so yeah. And so essentially, um, it, it it features the percentile ranking of points per possession in uh, frequency of play types for individual players. Uh, so how did you come up with that idea, and what is, um, what's kind of the, the advantage that, that you think people can have of, of kind of looking, through, uh, looking at players through that prism? Um, yeah, absolutely. So there's a couple different features on the app. So I think the one that you were talking about here is like the synergy play type. Um, feature and so that's kind of where I tried to draw the data in from the um, NBA website. So pick and roll, like where it's essentially how are players being used. Um, so I think if you look at go on to um, that page, what you'll be able to get is a general understanding of, of how um, a player gets his points. So if you go and see um, like somebody like Pascal Siakam, you'll see he, he has a lot of transition possessions, a lot of pick and roll, ball handler possessions. Um, and they'll kind of give you an example. Um, it'll kind of give you an idea, sorry, um, of, of how they get their, their points. Yeah. And then the, the other, um, parts of the app is there's a, a radial plots. Um, so those are kind of just visualizations, um, which, in my opinion, try to give a, a good idea of a player's general skill set. Um, so there's finishing, three-point shooting, and scoring efficiency um, as like the shooting metrics. Then there'll be defensive activity, overall defense, and rebounding as the rebounding metrics. And then for playmaking, I have playmaking, shot creation, and um, playmaking, shot creation. And sorry, there's one more I'm forgetting. I'm right sure now. it's a lot. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but essentially, I try to. What I was trying to do with with the app is is create visuals um, to kind of visualize all of these because I think it's a little daunting sometimes if you're looking at all these numbers. There's a, a bunch of rows and columns of, of various numbers. You don't really know where to start or, or what to look at. And I think sometimes for people, it's a lot easier to um, to just look at a visual. And if it's hopefully a good visual, it should give it give them a decent understanding um, of what they want to look at. And from there, they can explore further. So. I don't think the app is like a, like I said, a be all or end all for like evaluating a player, but hopefully it should give you a good idea um, of a couple of their attributes and and give some some further things to look at. How long did it take you to come up with it? Um, so like I had the idea for a little bit. Um, so last year I had made kind of similar plots with the percentile ranks, but I did it in Tableau with the help of um, Steve Fenn, who's a, a Tableau expert. A couple of people referred me to on Twitter. Um, but I've been learning R over the last year, kind of, um, and I've finally figured out how to, to put it all onto an app, um, recently. And once I realized how to put things onto apps, it, it didn't take that long because I had the static version, um, already. Um, but yeah, it, it was, uh, it wasn't too bad. That's cool. That is super cool. Um, and just a, a couple more uh, but, but before we get you out of here, um, just in thinking of 
uh, how analytics play such a big part in the NBA and, and also specifically in like draft evaluation. Um, and if you've not, you know, looked at a lot of players, you know, just let me know and that that's fine. I can move on to something else. But are there any, um, you know, prospects coming out of college that you're really kind of keyed in on based on, you know, some of their analytics coming out of school, um, anything on, and on that level? Um, I honestly don't have too much on, on the draft stuff. That's okay. Uh, I, I haven't done too much work there. I always, I always have to ask just because I have guys that I, I kind of like, and I'm always interested to see, um, what other people are thinking. Um, but on a, a more of a, a kind of like a, a summary question, just based on everything we've talked about, um, you obviously have a lot of knowledge in this area. You've put a lot of time and energy into this, um, you know, five years, 10 years, down the line, you know, where do you see yourself? Um, is this aligned with kind of what you're studying in school right now is, is working, um, you know, within an MBA front office or organization? Is that a goal for you? Is that something that you want? Um, yeah, I mean, so I'm studying, um, economics and math at school. And, um, so like all the programming and stuff that I've done is is all on my own. Um, so like, I'm not, um, really doing any of that at school, but yeah, I think down the line, I definitely love to be, to be working for an NBA team. Um, this summer I was, I was supposed to be working, um, going to Sacramento to work for the, uh, to intern for the Kings. Um, but with Corona, COVID and everything, um, it became remote, but, um, so that's, that's been nice. I got a little bit of experience there, but that's been more with, um, with the performance team and doing some, some data work there, but I definitely, um, yeah, I want to work in a, in a front office at some point. I mean, I think, I think that's, that's definitely the, the dream. That would be awesome, man. Uh, well, we, we, awesome. we're definitely rooting for you. And, uh, if you, if you do <laughs> make you. it, me and Chip can say that you were on our podcast first before, <laughs> before you blew up. Um, Chip, any other questions for Arjun? Just one. I got to ask the post-up question about our boy Porzingis. I got to <laughs> ask what he, I got to ask what he thinks of Porzingis taking seven threes a game and Rick Carlisle thinking the post up is basically a dead play. I kind of ask, <laughs> what do you, what do you think of that? Uh, I mean, I think there's there's obviously a balance. Like, I think the Bucks have optimized it this year. You look at like how much they're posting up Brook Lopez. I think it's it's the perfect amount. And with Porzingis, there there is a there is an amount. I don't think I don't think it's that he should never be posted up. But it there's a there's a time and a place um, to be post to for him to be posting up. I mean. I think I definitely remember there's a, a mad Celtics game um, earlier in the year, and he tried to post up Marcus Smart seven or eight yeah. times and just could not do a thing. Um, and so there's definitely a give and take. Like, you, you put him up against the Rockets the other day. I think they posted him up a bunch, and for a little bit he was scoring, and then it's, it, it started to go downhill. Um, and so as they pick and choose, like, I, I think I talk I talk about this with my friends a lot. Like the way the Mavs use Porzingis isn't optimizing him, but it's probably optimizing their team. Um, and I think that's the key for them. And so as long as he buys in, it's fine. But yeah, I I, I definitely see where where both sides are coming from. I remember when he was when Porzingis was still with the Knicks. The thing with Smart, I mean, he's such a talented defender. He's he's super smart. I remember um, that. Mike Breen was talking about how Smart was defending him and like essentially just really getting up into his legs. And so yeah. pretty much making the only option that Porzingis had was to try and shoot over him. Just 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 take the mid-range shot because he was pretty much not letting him put the ball on the floor at all. 
Um, And I'm sure that people saw that around the league and they were like, okay, you know, he's not very agile in that sense. Just like kind of make him uncomfortable, get into his lower body. And that's probably like the optimal way to defend him. Yeah. And that's where that, you know, that Dirk fadeaway is, uh, it's just so perfect because when guys did that to him and and he couldn't move somebody, all you have to do is go back and fade. And so I think that that jumper will come along. Like you said, a lot of times with, with guys like smarter, I mean, there's so many guys who, you know, it's like fake post-up guys where you get baited into posting them up, like the Kyle Lowry's, Van Vliet's, Smarts, like all those guys. And, and I, as he um, gets more experience, like in those situations, I, I think um, that kind of, that fade will come. Obviously, it won't be the dirt fade, but I think some sort of a mid-range will, will have to come. And if it does, it, it could be really good. Because the Mavs are, Mavs are looking good. I think I think they're one more wing defender away for me, but they, they, they look real good. Uh, Chip, Chip and I, we were doing a, um, a betting odds podcast before the one where we had you on today. And I told Chip, I was like, listen, man, I forget what the Mavs were. They were like plus 1800 or 1400 for the Western conference finals. Or I forget what it was, but I was like, you know what? I like that bet because I don't know. Luca is like turning into like a, 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 a like solar flare superstar. And yeah, um, special. yeah, and Porzingis has been pretty decent. And Maxi Kleba, um, Finney Smith. I mean, Hardaway is playing well for them. Like, that's a scary team. Like, if I'm yeah. in the West, I don't care if you're the Clippers or Lakers. Obviously, I think those teams are better. They're a step ahead. But I don't want to play the Mavericks. Like, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't think anybody does. And I think that the seeding in the next couple of days between like the end of that West is going to be really interesting. Because um, Houston now jumped up to four. So they're in that four-five game now. So if the, I think if the Mavs are what a game behind um, the six behind uh, Utah in the sixth spot, and so if they can get out of that Clippers first-round matchup and get some momentum going in, and and maybe beat Denver and get some momentum going into round two, it'll be a real tough out. Like you said, Luca's real special. Yeah. Um, and honestly, just talking on Luca, there, there's one more thing I, I'll touch on actually. Um. Luke is one of the the people where you don't want to like where I feel like three point percentage is something that you don't want to look at um, for him because his three point percentage is like thirty one percent, but it doesn't tell the whole story. Like Luca doesn't have the gravity of a thirty one percent shooter. People are going out to him. He's taking step back threes, and so I think that's another place where um, in the future analytics um, can really help. Is um, so like right now there's a there's a couple metrics for adjusted three point percentage. I know. Um, Mike Bassetti on put an article out on Nylon Calculus last year on um, an article kind of calculating a, a three-point percentage based on how difficult your shots were in terms of closest defender distance. And I think the next step is incorporating closest defender distance and shot type. So you look at um, the types of shot Luke has taken. It's step backs, unassisted predominantly, um, tough, tough shots. And so... I think one thing that would be really interesting in the future um, to look at is, is kind of creating an expected three-point percentage for how would an average shooter shoot if he took Lucas shots. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think that's where one another place where, you know, like general field goal percentage might be a little skewed. Yeah, I mean, he uh, it, it's like the fulcrum for their entire offense because, yeah. you know, you almost see in the future that people are going to start guarding him like Harden whether it's just sending doubles at half court or, or whatever, just trying to get the ball out of his hands because he's super creative. Um, it, it's it's just ridiculous. And I, I do remember 
him coming out of college, like there's some guys that I really, you know, follow closely uh, at the, the Stepien. He doesn't really tweet that much anymore, but uh, Cole Zwicker, um, he was super, super high on Luca coming out and, and said that he should be the clear number one. Uh, and there were guys that were concerned about his lack of athleticism, uh, little things here and there. And it's just crazy because he just has that, the ridiculous vision, um, playmaking ability, shooting, and it's like you don't have to have a 50-inch vertical when you see the game like he does. It's crazy. Yeah, I think I remember when he was coming out, there were people saying, like, oh, he wouldn't be able to do this in the NCAA. Like, he'd be averaging, like, 12-5 and five or whatever, something like that. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's pretty crazy how um, – and, and I think that's, like, another aspect where people, like, kind of see what they want to see. And if you just looked at the numbers, like, yeah, Luca was he was 17 doing crazy stuff in the Euro League. He won MVP when he was, what, 17, 18. Yeah. That, that, that's pretty crazy. And that's where I think, like, there's a little bit of bias that comes in that, that maybe can be can maybe be checked a little bit by looking at the numbers a little more. I definitely agree for sure. Um, Arjun, course, before, we yeah. get you get, before we get you out, uh, please – let all the good people know uh, where they can find you on Twitter, uh, where they can find your writing. If there's anything you're working on now that you want to promote, uh, please do so. Uh, yeah, I mean, my Twitter is Arjun underscore Balaraman. You can see my stuff there or uh, Nylon Calculus and uh, Celtics blog. So, yeah, that's all. Nothing nothing really in the works, but uh, if I have anything, it'll be up there. Awesome, man. Well, listen, uh, I, I know Chip feels the same way. Like, this was an awesome episode. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. I know like I'm going to be going back and listening to this one when I'm writing some articles in the future and say, okay, I'm going to check this out or, or whatever. And I think cleaning the glass is going to be uh, my next subscription coming up for <laughs> sure. Um, but yeah, th- thanks again for your time and appreciate it. And best of you, best of luck to you and in, in all your future endeavors. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. Really, really appreciate you guys taking the time to, to have me on. Um, and yeah, definitely, definitely recommend the cleaning the class subscription. <laughs> definitely. And uh, to anyone listening out there, uh, we should, we're still looking for a Utah Jazz writer. We're still continuing our NBA A through Z series. Um, I, there was a, a tweet that came out yesterday for some guy, I forget who it was, but he very nicely put together a, an NBA Twitter kind of like a Rolodex out there. So yeah. so I think Chip and I will be looking at that for the Utah Jazz and probably some of our teams in the future. So um, we'll be doing that hopefully either before the end of this week or early next week. And uh, we hope everybody stays safe and we will talk to you soon. Peace.